Lord, we come before you with hearts filled with thankfulness. And even though there are many things that we could uh, think about from our week or the state of our lives right now that would cause us concern or um, tends to bring us down, when we raise our gaze to you, when we look to heaven and we realize what the outcome is going to be, we are encouraged. The burden is lifted. We know that all of this is temporary, and we have so much to look forward to. And as we consider some of these concepts out of your scripture that can be very heavy, that can uh, really weigh us down um, because of the the idea of uh, any kind of judgment from you, we pray that you would use that to remind us of our freedom and the fact that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And so thank you for that, Lord. Bless the time that we get now to dig deeper into your word. We pray, of course, that it would result in godly spiritual fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is class number four of our series here on uh, the realm of the dead and, and the descent. So I had a choice. I, my original plan was to... Um, cover both uh, the lowest portion of Sheol and final judgment, which is a separate thing, or sticking with the analogy, a separate location. And for me to accomplish that would be to talk pretty fast and to just kind of ram all the information through. And I don't think that's the best idea I've gotten. This is, uh, I've had great conversation with a lot of, of you guys, and I am really grateful for that. And there have been a lot of really good questions, and it's causing uh, folks to think about things that they read in other portions of Scripture. So I thought, why not just slow down? There's no reason to really push that hard. And we will get to final judgment stuff, uh, Lord willing, next week. So today... Our focus is going to be on lowest Sheol. So to this point, just to kind of walk back through a little bit, we looked at that whole three-tiered cosmology, kind of the macro view from above that whenever you read these uh, verses that talk about heaven, earth, and under the earth, that that is, has a totality sense, you know, that everyone is going to bow the knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's that um, sense. So, so even in that language that's being laid out, we already have that, that three-tiered sense. And then we zoomed in and we started to look at Sheol. And we were looking at that under the earth realm. And we were looking at the difference between transliteration and translation and the use of the word Sheol and the use of the word Hades. And so we were starting to focus on what I've drawn up here, which is, which is Sheol and Hades in a general sense, meaning um, the grave or sometimes it's referred to as the pit. So again, those are more generalized um, words to describe the realm of the dead uh, or, or to uh, describe what happens at least before Christ to everyone after they die. Um, 
found that it's a general place of the, of the dead in the Old Testament era. We talked about that it contains the disembodied souls of the wicked and the righteous. And then last couple of weeks, I've presented this diagram here showing these three levels. And we saw that those that died in the Lord are also going somewhere in Sheol right along with those that are wicked that die. And then we started to look uh, last week at that division then of upper Sheol and lower Sheol. And I have the, the terms that we've been looking at here, upper Sheol being what is referred to in some places as paradise or in the uh, um, account of the rich man and Lazarus, it's Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side as far as upper Sheol and then lower Sheol is referred sometimes just as Sheol or Hades. Um, and also, I don't know if you caught it in, the, uh, in that account with the rich man and Lazarus, but four different times. So two times the word anguish was used for where the rich man was, and two times the word torment was used. So um, you have four different times the reference of him being in a place of anguish or torment for his disembodied soul. Um, oh, and borrowing from the account of the rich man and Lazarus, we saw that uh, for the believer, for those that were God's children prior to Christ, there was an improvement in their status. In fact, uh, again, in that rich man and Lazarus account, it even um, indicates that their souls were, were accompanied by angels down there, and that, you know, as I mentioned there, at Abraham's side. So anytime you're going to end up in the same place that Abraham is, you're in the right place, right? So from that account, we saw that the rich man was in Hades, a place of torment and anguish, and uh, Lazarus was in Abraham's side. All right, so... Before we examine this lowest location, there is one phrase that I used last time that I want us to continue to remember because there was a concept associated with it. Does anyone remember? I know I'm being kind of vague with my question, but does anyone remember a phrase that I used to describe everything that is going on with all three levels? It's a two-word phrase. Anyone remember? Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. I knew. Intermediate state was a phrase that we don't see specifically in the Bible, but we absolutely see the principle. And, Stephen, what, 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 is, the, what is the principle behind using that phrase, intermediate state? It's temporary. It's temporary. Thank you. So, this is very important, okay, as we look at these things. And what I'm really hoping is that as we continue to look at these things, they're not just interesting facts to learn about the Bible or so that you can, it certainly is good to more accurately get a handle on the vocabulary of Scripture when it says these different words. But what hopefully is happening now is you're building a picture in your mind because God is giving this to us in that sense. He's using an analogy. So, build that little sim city in your head, this analogy of what God is giving you of these areas and just know that everything that we're talking about up to this point, upper Sheol, 
lower Sheol, and now when we're about to hit lowest Sheol, all of this is a part of the intermediate state, which is to say that all of this is temporary. And we'll get into temporary when and where and that kind of thing. But as of today, though, we are going to now hit this whole idea of lowest Sheol. So... The first term, we're just going to go right down the line, and we're going to look at our terms. So let's, follow, let's look at this first term right here, which is the abyss, abusos, is as it is in Greek. It is an immensely deep place. So I'll just tell you at the outset is that, so if, maybe I'll throw out a little question here, who knows. Um, if we've established that the righteous pre-Christ, the righteous disembodied souls go to upper Sheol. The wicked disembodied souls go to lower Sheol. Who is here? There we go. Fallen angels. Okay? So that's what we're talking about today. Evil spirits, fallen angels. All right? And we're going to look at verses that demonstrate that. This is separate from humans right here. This is this lowest Sheol. And so we're going to see that here in the verses that we have, first of all, for the abyss. The abyss is an immensely deep place. This word, the Greek word, remember, we're continuing to look at the original language so that we can apply the best that we can the, uh, the intent, the, the accuracy of what was being written at the time behind where some of the translators have changed it to hell. So when we look at the abyss, we know that it was that actually original Greek word was used nine times in the New Testament, and all but one of them have a direct correlation to it being a dwelling place for evil powers. Okay? So we're going to look at a few of them. We're not going to look at all of them. And let's look at the first one, which may be one of the best known ones. So um, Luke 8, 26 to 31. Who's got that? All right, so here we go. Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. Is that what it says? Yep, nailed it. Which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, a man from the city met him, one who was possessed with demons and had not put on any garment for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Now seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For, you, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles, being kept under guard. And yet, breaking his bonds, he was driven by the demon into the desolate regions. Um, and Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have, had entered him. And they were pleading with him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Okay. So, again, I imagine you've heard more than one sermon preached on this account and on Legion. And, you know, Jesus is the central 
point and what it is that he is doing um, in that account. So we're not questioning that in any way, but this is where as we continue to develop these pictures of what's being said, now it should kind of fill in for you what's taking place in that account that of course focuses on Jesus. And you see that the request of the demon, first of all, actually I want to I want to point out the address. Did any of you catch how this this legion, this this many demons that's speaking addresses Jesus? Son of the Most High. So already the, what's being referred to there is even among all supernatural beings, he is son of the Most High. So that, that setting is already right there when he addresses Jesus. And then his request there in verse 31 is, please don't cast me into the abyss. So see how we have this direct correlation between this uh, demon or, or demons and the abyss. Um, we also know that the uh, abyss has a shaft or a, you know, uh, what would be like a well shaft that serves as access to the abyss. So this uh, imagery comes from Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, I believe. Jane? How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set to my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Okay. So here, I mean, all of this language that's in there and that that just continues to support the analogy of a being, which I believe right here we're talking about the Satan, the adversary, the evil one that is trying to take the highest position. He is... He is making himself, he wants to put himself on the throne. And what Jane just read out of Isaiah is a descriptor of, no, you will be cast down. Not only will you be cast down, you will be cast down to the lowest portions of the pit. Um, Revelation 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, all of this language really starts to make Revelation come alive for you here. Go ahead, uh, Paul. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Okay, so see, we're tying these things together. You have this pit you have uh, what Jane read about it being a, uh, like this, the deepest pit. You have what Paul just read where it says that when the shaft is opened, to, that is the access to the pit, you have um, smoke coming from it as well. So this is essentially a bottomless pit where these, the smoke and the scene is coming out. And then I think, Paul, you also have uh, right uh, just a few verses later, verse 11, Revelation 9, 11. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, 
His name in Hebrews is Abaddon, and in Greek as Apollyon. Okay, so we are going to look at that as well, but you'll notice there that um, it was translated as bottomless pit, right? Let me make sure here. I'm looking. Pull it up myself. Uh, Revelation 9. All right, so where it says in uh, Revelation 9, verse 1, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, the word behind that is abusas. That's, that's uh, um, the abyss. And then also in verse 11, they serve as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. And then we're going to talk here in just a minute about the whole Abaddon and Apollyon thing as well. So here we see not only is something coming out, but then in Revelation uh, 9, 11, I believe he's... No, okay, we're not there yet. Okay, let's go on to Revelation 17, verses 7 and 8. Revelation 17, 7 and 8. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Okay, so one of the things that we can pull from those verses is the was and is not and is to come. Whatever is being described is temporary. See that framework there? It was, it is, was, was not, and is to come. Okay, so we, are, we have that temporary language. And then here's a question for you here in verse 8. It says, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit. So, where is the beast during the is not phase? In the middle. The beast that you saw was, but now it is not, but then it is about to rise from the bottomless pit. So the question is, where is the is not? Because that's the, the present tense that's being communicated at that time. There we go. In the pit. That's what, right here. He's in the abyss. That's the, that's the is not. And that's going to come into play as we continue through this. But you can again see that as you are picturing these places in this analogy, and you read these scriptures in Revelation and you realize things, okay, now temporary, where is the abyss, oh, he is not, you're going to be able to hopefully piece some of these things together. All right, let's go on to Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, 
so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Okay. So, this... um, The dragon, ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years. Temporary or permanent? Temporary. Correct. Threw him into the pit, which is, in the Greek, into the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until, because that would be the end of the temporary period, the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So, again, I'm hoping that as we're discussing these things and you're seeing how they're placed in Scripture and how the Greek behind it is being used, you're able to uh, determine what some of these things mean and what it does not mean. I also want to make sure that I'm not leaving you with the impression that when it says he's sealed in the abyss, that there is no contact. I know that we tend to think sealed uh, as if like there is zero connection then any longer because there's a seal. The idea of seal is uh, an idea of authority or restraint. So yes, the dragon, Satan, the serpent is cast into this pit, into the bottomless pit, into the abyss and He's been, it's been sealed, but it doesn't mean that there is no connection, that there is no contact with earth, um, with God's people whatsoever. And so we see that ongoing, you know, there is uh, demonic influence. There is the adversary does have power within the world to a limited degree. We aren't without pain ourselves, but he certainly cannot wipe out the church, and he also cannot take our salvation away from us. Uh, To use language that's used in uh, another portion here of Revelation, we can't, there's not a widespread deception that is going to take place. And the basis, this this is fascinating now, so the basis for what we just read in Revelation 20 connects to Isaiah 24, verses 21 to 23. Brother Gary. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the king of the earth and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit and they will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confronted and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Okay. Hold on. Hang on to the, hang on to the microphone right there. So would, does this sound like something that is, that's being described as temporary or permanent? To me, this is a permanent deal. No. No. Let's go with the other option. It's a temporary deal. Yes. That was a test. Yes. I'll tell you what, read first. uh, So this is an imprisonment. Again, there's this connection to the pit. So it's talking about that on that day. So there's something in particular that's going to happen on some particular day. And the result is what Gary just read. In fact, read the whole, read the whole thing again. Read what? 21 to 23. Isaiah 24, 21 to 23. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven Mm -hmm. in heaven 
and the kings of the earth on the earth, and they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit, uh-huh. and they will be shut up in a prison, and after many days they will be punished, and then the moon will be confronted, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. May I ask a question? Please. What day are we talking oh, about? Oh, indeed. Ah. That's Indeed. why I'm asking. Indeed. <laughs> it's a Thursday? Uh, actually, it would be you a Sunday. Said it's a Thursday. It would be a Sunday. Ooh. <laughs> what day are we talking about? Well, we're, we're, and we're going to look at that in future classes, but we're talking about Christ, what Christ has accomplished that, that day, not the second coming, because what, um, and, and I know, I put you guys in a tough spot when I ask you to both read publicly, and then I ask you a question, and uh, so I, I acknowledge that. But right there in verse 22, uh, if you caught, what's taking place here is these uh, beings from heaven, I forget the exact verbiage that it used in the verse there, um, but these are angelic beings that are imprisoned, but then it says in verse 22, after many days, they will be punished. So that's interesting because I think what we do when we read that is we're automatically thinking punishment because it is, because there's imprisonment taking place. But these are two separate things. There's imprisonment, which assuredly is unpleasant, but even the imprisonment is temporary because after that, there's going to be punishment. That punishment is going to be eternal. Yes. So the hosts of heaven are the angelic beings. Yes. And the kings of the earth are the kings of the earth. Correct. So there is a direct connection, and and I'm glad you brought that up. There is a very close connection, and Pastor Nick has done an, an incredible job of walking through an exodus in particular where there is a a almost a straight line connection between evil angelic beings and the powers, the, the people that are in positions of power on the earth. And you see that over and over when you read these accounts in the Old Testament where there are these evil kings that set up um, places to, to worship the Baals and are basically a human puppet for the adversary. And if you really want to take it back, you can go to, back to Deuteronomy, and we kind of discussed it before, where the earth is divided up, Deuteronomy 32, and individual angelic, evil angelic powers are given control over geographic areas. And then I would say there is a human leader, a human counterpart that then serves basically as their, as their puppet to carry out these, this evil intent. So... The imprisonment is going to be for the divine powers in lowest shield, the abyss, and there is going to be ultimate punishment for those earthly powers that were doing his will as well. All right, I got questions popping up over here. So um, is the chasm between upper shoal and lower shoal different than the seal over the lowest shoal? Because that chasm, you can't cross it, you can't go there, you can't communicate it, but it sounds like you're saying that the lowest shoal, the demons, the Satan, he still has access to us. Great question. So we want to make sure we just don't carry the analogy too far, but basically 
uh, because this has an imprisonment and, and a torment, so there is punishment associated with it, that conceptually there's still the fact that lowest Sheol is lower, it's uh, below. But what the point that I'm trying to make with the ceiling is that it do, what, what the scripture does not mean in Revelation where it says that the well shaft was sealed after he was cast into the pit, the, um, into the abyss, that there is no contact with, with believers. We're not in a sin-free world, but there is something um, markedly different in our world today for the believer than there was pre-Christ. There was a, an ability and a deception and a power um, I think Jamie was um, that that was available to the evil one prior to what Christ accomplished. So, verse twenty-two says they will be gathered together, both the host of heaven and the kings of the earth. Well, I thought the host of heaven had one place and the kings of the earth had another. I understand what you said about the close connections, yes. but yes, uh, I think that the, because the, the conceptually that that's what's happening. But as far as uh, let me let me look at it exactly here. Isaiah, that's a very good question. Isaiah 24, 21, on, on that day the Lord will punish the host, host of heaven in heaven and the kings of earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison and after many days they will be shut up. So they're both going to be in prison, the, the leaders are not going to be down here. It's just, that's associated. Yes, they, it, I, because I think they're put together for the sake of punishment. Temporary. Yes. Okay, walk back there. And then next up is going to be Romans ten five to 7, which I think is, of course, on the opposite side. Go ahead. So didn't we read in, in the early stages where... Uh, Jesus confronted that evil spirit, and he didn't want to be sent to the abyss. Correct. Because why? He can't. He can't come out. No, uh, because there is because it is imprisonment. Okay. So there is an anguish. There is a torment. There is an imprisonment. There's a limitation put on their power. Okay. Whatever the bad stuff is that they do, for instance, what's bearing itself out in this guy uh, in the land of the Gerasenes he would not have that ability to, to do that. He would be restrained because he would be imprisoned. Uh, all right, so we're, what I'm going to do is have Gerald read the Romans 10, 5 to 7 passage, which is the one passage where the word abyss is there and does not, is not associated with evil powers. Go ahead. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is Christ, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Okay, so I would just contend that this is, you know, uh, the difference between like a capital A abyss and a small a abyss. This is conceptually, you know, it's about Christ. And uh, the theological point that's being made about not being able to bring Christ down or, or, or bringing Christ down and not bringing Christ up. And it's not about the abyss as opposed to all of these other verses that we've read that talk about imprisonment. So it 
So what I'm saying is that we have elasticity with these words, right? Just like I was showing Sheol and Hades sometimes is a, just a general descriptor for all of the realm of the dead, and sometimes Sheol and Hades is explicitly this lower Sheol. And in the same way, we see many times the abyss is a specific place of imprisonment. And in this particular case, yes, the word is being used, but we don't have to be so rigid where we say, well, you can't use that word unless you're talking about that place. And here, that word is being used in that theological sense, not in, this, not in this kind of sense right here. All right, let's move on to Abaddon. All right. It is a transliteration, which, interesting, you know, here we have in that, within that same verse, again, that transliteration and translation piece, because it even said it's Abaddon, which is a Greek word, you know, Abaddon. And then, but it even says, which translated to Greek, is Apollyon. So it's one and the same. And then the word means destroyer. Apollyon means destroyer. So Abaddon is used multiple times in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. Of course, since it's uh, transliterated, it's, it's much easier to find in the Old Testament. So we have three verses. Job 26, 6. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. Okay. So now, again, we we see this theological point being made is that Sheol uh, is laid open. So so we see Sheol and Abaddon um, kind of placed side by side. And so you almost could go like this and divide upper and lower Sheol from lowest Sheol in these phrases where it's it's showing the power of God and his... his, um, omnipresence and the fact that he can see everything that's in lowest Sheol that is in Abaddon and in upper Sheol. So to go along with that, we have Psalm 88, 10 to 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Okay, so we have the descriptor being, it's almost like a human and an angelic division there where it's talking about the grave and associated with the grave was Abaddon, and then you have darkness and a land of forgetfulness. So it's all being laid out. Proverbs 27.20, we see Sheol and Abaddon personified. Who's got, there we go, Jamie. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of men. Okay, so it's personified in the sense that Sheol and Abaddon uh, are hungering, can't ever be satisfied. And then we see that personification kind of turned into a reality back when we had uh, read Revelation 9.11. Let me go back to that just a second. Revelation 9.11. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. So again, you have this personification um, of Apollyon, of the destroyer being over uh, Abaddon. And then Tartarus, an interesting uh, term here. 
I don't know if you're familiar. I, I know you've, you've probably done this, even if you're not familiar with the term, but if you verb something or you verbify a noun, you take a noun that's not, that, that is a noun that's not usually used as a verb, and then you just turn it into a verb. So if, uh, if I call Stephen in the middle of the day and I say, hey, Stephen, what are you up to? And he's like, man, I'm just here jobbing it, right? He, jobbing is not a real word, but he's taken a noun, he's turned it into a verb, and he's communicating something by just saying, yeah, I'm jobbing it. And you know, oh, he's, he's working hard, right? And so what happens is the same thing here is Tartarus is only used one time in the Bible, and what they did is the, uh, the author took what was a concept that was known to the Greek culture and turned it into a verb. So Tartarus was a, uh, was a Greek place below Hades where divine punishment was meted out. That was according to one lexicon. In the Bass book, he said, its origins are in the Greco-Roman world and was known as a murky, dark place located below Hades that imprisoned the titans of old. So that principle was already there as a place, as a noun, Tartarus, in the Greek culture. That's what they're like, Tartarus. And so what happens is, Peter leverages a concept that they have of this place in the Greek-speaking culture and turns it into a verb and communicates what is going to happen. And we see that in 2 Peter 2, 4. I don't think my plan really sped anything up, did it? Of the purple and orange, yeah. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Okay. Again, we see temporary. But what is behind that English of cast into hell in Greek is actually the word tartarized. So in other words, they have been tartarized. Now, we don't you know, he took a Greek noun, turned it into a verb, but then English translators turned that into cast into hell. But this is where we're making more distinctions and saying, well, actually, it doesn't say cast into hell. It says they're being tartarized, which makes you say, well, what is tartarized? Well, it's a verb from Tartarus, which is imprisoning them in the uh, uh, temporarily... What's throwing me off is Nick earlier reminded me that the doctor in his phone booth was the Tartarus. I was thinking it was something you do with fish sticks. Uh, your oh, fish yeah. sticks. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, not tartar sauce, tartarus. Yes. All right, we've got one more. Um, we've got one more scripture. And now watch what happens is that in Jude 1, in Jude 1, 6, we don't have, thank you, we don't have the word Tartarus being used, but now that you know what that is, look how the same concept is leveraged in Jude. Go ahead, Caitlin. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Okay. Chains, gloomy darkness of angelic powers, and is that temporary or, or permanent? Temporary until that great day. So again, we see this principle of there is a place, a specific place, for 
evil powers for fallen angelic beings that are restrained, that are imprisoned for a temporary time until there is the ultimate judgment that will take place. And it's that judgment that we will talk about next week. So, Jamie, go ahead. Get the microphone here. Monica, sorry. Monica, yeah. Sorry. So, humans get to, or end up in Sheol at the point of death. At what point do the um, evil angelic people, I mean, beings, end up in Sheol temporarily? Yes. So, this is all tied to Christ. And we are, this is all... This is all headed that direction, but basically that is connected to what, Christ, what happened when Christ died and when he descended. Yeah, and we're going to see, and that's why I'm trying to build towards that so that we see all these things and all this imprisonment and these locations so that then when we see Christ enter the scene, we know what it is that he actually accomplished for his people. At that time, you got a question from Joe back there. So is there currently a, a spiritual realm where the, the, there's the demonic and um, what constitutes whether somebody is sent down there to the lowest hill or, or somebody's demonic creatures still allowed to possess people and, and roam around here and do what they do? What constitutes whether they're thrown down into the abyss and locked up? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I'll just say this, that, that again, when Christ comes and he completes his work, his death, burial, and resurrection, we have what we read earlier in the Revelation verse, a couple of the Revelation passages of that restraint, of that imprisonment taking place wholesale. Mm -hmm. And what what happened to uh, Elijah and Enoch when it clearly says they were taken up in the whirlwind up into heaven? Where are they? They did not pass go. They did not collect upper she-hole dollars. They, They went straight up. They didn't have to it's already in the presence of God? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I was just going to add uh, as well, I think the benefit of this, hopefully, is we apply this to what will be here shortly when you're back preaching, is you're preaching through Acts and the Acts of the Apostles and what they're doing in their treatment of, of demons and the power they've now been given by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like it, all of this should enlighten it. I can't help but sit here and go, man, I wish we had the Sunday school before hitting Daniel 7 and yeah. all those things. Yeah. There's so Lots much I've wanted to say for so long. Yes. But uh, I think the beauty of this, uh, of this so far is that hopefully these dots are getting connected of what's going on and that when you know, Resurrection Sunday, we have a Resurrection um, Sunday sermon, and then we have the Acts, what's going on in Acts, and what's prophesied in Daniel, and then the work of these beings in Exodus that that Nick's preaching through. Like, everywhere, this is touching, in some regard, everything, because ultimately, it always comes back to Jesus. Yes, and, and, you know, even, you know, referring back to, to Nick, it you know, when you get a sense of the freedom that these evil spirits had then that they don't have now, you can realize how much greater the victory was of what's described in Exodus as well. Because I think we always tend to think about things being the way that we know them now. Well, what we know is a restrained. So hopefully you're catching on to words. Imprisonment, chains, okay? And I'm... Hopefully also other verses that we haven't gotten to yet are coming to your mind, which is um, 
the gates of hell will not prevail, binding the strong man, we're heading to, toward that. That's the good news. And of course, I'm killing you by not really answering those questions legitimately. But I, I want you to, to, to see that all these words, and what's neat, PJ even made a comment about how, you know, it's interesting in the Old Testament here, they're just, they seem to be able to stick to one word for the most part, right, Sheol? But what we have here is in the New Testament are these, are, are more descriptors, finer points, different ways of describing a, a place. So for Lois Sheol, we have this use of the word abyss. We have Peter pulling out tartarized and yet it ties directly to um, what's being described in Jude. And we have bottomless pit, and we have Abaddon, which is also Apollyon. And, and it just brings greater richness and description to what all that is, so that when we get to what Christ did, it makes all of this so much more amazing. And we realize behind the scenes, <laughs> below the scenes, what, what, he, like, what he did. You're just unbelievable. And then, Lord willing you will be able to take that knowledge into your reading of Daniel and into your reading of Revelation and go, oh my goodness, I get it. It's actually not a big coded uh, secret. You know, do you have the secret ring? Do you have the right visions to put it all together? When you start looking at what's laid out in scripture right here, what we're talking about, you'll start to just see it for yourself. You know, the temporary, the permanent, the polyon, Madden. It's like, wait a minute, which shield are we talking about? You know, you start asking these questions and you're like, oh, okay. Actually, not so hard. Not so bad. Um, if they're super brief, I know there were a couple of hands. You want to hit Jacob? Jacob's back there. So are the justified people that go to Upper Shield, and it's kind of off topic, but are the justified people that go to Upper Shield, are they in the presence of God? They are now. They are? Okay. I was just, yes. I thought for some I reason. I know, that's... Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Yep. Yep. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for all the puzzled looks on faces because what I know is happening is brains are chewing on these things. And Lord, this is good. Help us, of course, to be Bereans, not to take... Uh, for truth, just because I'm the one standing up here uh, wielding a, a, a dry erase marker, but because your word says that it is true. May each of us um, seek out the truth, and we pray that you would grant us um, the quest that we're seeking of that wisdom of that truth, and so that it might be applied to our lives, so that we might have a more accurate view of what it is that Christ accomplished on the cross, in the grave, and um, in his resurrection. And bless the service that's to follow, we pray in, in Christ's holy name. Amen.